This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for weekly research insights as investors respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is November 19th, 2020. This week, Lucas Neckerman is an author, speaker, and the managing director of Neckerman Strategic Advisors, a consultancy that focuses on the thematic investing trends of smart cities and future mobility. We spoke with Lucas to get a deeper understanding of this shift towards self-driving, electrified, and shared ways of traveling from point A to B. Lucas, thank you for joining us today. We're happy to have you on the program. It's great to be here. So let's step back and start with the basics, if we could. You and, and your firm, Neckerman Strategic Advisors, you have a very specific focus on smart cities and the future of mobility. So I'd like to start high level. Can you help us define those terms and just give us some of the background, some insight in terms of how you arrived on this focus? Sure. So before I had written my first book in 2014, The Mobility Revolution, I would uh, speak with a lot of experts. I went to a lot of conferences. I went to a robotics conference, a shared mobility conference. I, I went to a Tesla fan event. Now, I noticed, though, that there was something going on. And there was a convergence between these topics. Now, I've been in this in- industry for, for quite a long time. And, and it's one, frankly, that I've followed since I was six years old. I started my career in the automotive industry. So I saw this convergence of trends and I called it the mobility revolution. Zero emissions, zero accidents, zero ownership. And, and, and I think that these three trends are still the best summary of what I mean by uh, the mobility revolution and also uh, where we're going in mobility. It's electrification, automation, and uh, trend towards shared transportation. That's definitely significant stuff, but revolution? That's a strong word you're using there. <laughs> Absolutely right, Adam. But how we get from A to B, it's, it's such a fundamental part of our existence. It really merits the term revolution, much like the internet revolution or, or the smartphone. Uh, because just like the smartphone changed so much about our lives, mobility will change other industries as well. You know, real estate is impacted, infrastructure, energy, a lot of these industries. People have been talking about this idea, self-driving cars, drones for a long time. I, I actually, in some of my preparation for today, I came across an article on your site where uh, you tell a great story about the first true attempt at a self-driving car. And I was surprised at the date, which was 1925. Could you share that that story with us here? Yeah, it was called the Houdina, um, and it wasn't really autonomous. It was remote controlled, and it drove for a, really a, just a short distance down Broadway in New York. And uh, well, after a short distance, it in fact managed to crash into some reporters, which is not necessarily the best advertising, I suppose, for for the topic. But, you know, this dream, this dream of of autonomous or self-driving has continued. And we've seen so many other examples, you know, in the 50s and 60s, GM demonstrated a a concept car, they called it the Firebird, which which followed metal strips in the highway. There was a similar one uh, that TRL did in the UK. But really the breakthrough for autonomous, truly, truly autonomous, um, uh, was, you know, getting away from these, these, you know, 
guidance systems that were built into the infrastructure. And that was uh, kind of sparked by the DARPA grant challenges starting in 2004. Uh, that's when you started to see a bunch of the universities getting involved, you know, the top robotics universities, Carnegie Mellon, and, and building on that, then Google got interested in the subject. And well, uh, another 10, 15 years later, meanwhile, you've got you know, Waymo and Cruise and Tesla, Voyage, others. Uh, they've driven millions and millions of miles on real streets and literally billions of miles um, in, in simulator environments. What's the appeal of autonomous driving? Why all this attention on it for so long? Well, driving may be the single greatest waste of our time. It's effectively a low cognition activity. You know, um, yes, sometimes we enjoy driving. I enjoy driving as well. But the truth is standing in traffic is uh, it's boring. It's a waste of our talents. It's a waste of our brain power. And, and, and we're not particularly good at it as well. You know, over a million people die on the roads every year worldwide. There's one more aspect, though, and, and, and that's that, you know, driving in its current form is, is also a a bit of a waste of our infrastructure and our and our resources. We could do better. It feels a bit at times like this topic that we're talking about about autonomous vehicles, as well as ride sharing services like a Lyft or Uber. People talk about them as related but distinct areas. But you see it differently. You you talk about big shifts in the entire automotive value chain. So. What, I, what I'd like you to do for us, if you can, is describe this new framework as you see it, and how is it different from the value chain that we've all gotten used to and taken for granted? Right. So I firmly believe that the real revolution that's going on in terms of the value chain is not that we're just evolving the automotive value chain, but that we're creating a brand new one. It's the emergence of a brand new industry called mobility. We now have tech companies uh, supplying integrators, integrators having uh, a fleet management for mobility operators. You know, uh, Uber doesn't generally fit into the old puzzle, if you will, of the automotive value chain, but very much so in this new mobility value chain that we've defined. It's 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 got a whole lot of new players as well. You know, there's Intel and Google and Baidu and SoftBank and Amazon and and tons of other companies that that really didn't have a big interest in automotive and really aren't, all, aren't getting into automotive either. They're getting into mobility. Let's talk cities versus rural areas. So I'm in New York, you're in London, and we're very used to the idea of others driving us around or getting on the subway or, or the tube, for instance. But what are you seeing in terms of this, this shift in mobility in cities around the world? What are the trends behind it? What's if you'll excuse me, driving these shifts. Yeah, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, in New York and London and other mega cities of the world, we may have a certain bias. I've lived in, in cities much of my adult life, and, and, and those cities have had admirable public transport. So what you're seeing now, and this is fairly consistent across cities that have multiple modes, is that option is being created of, of multimodality. And what I mean by that is that it's easier to rely on, on different, sometimes even multiple modes of transport. You know, you take an e-scooter to the train station and a taxi on the other side uh, when, you, when you get to where you're going. And you pay for 
the, the, the e-scooter ride, the taxi ride, and the train fare all with the same app. Or you might take ride hailing to the airport shuttle, uh, take that shuttle to the airport, um, and, and, and land somewhere completely different and, and get in a car share vehicle um, and pay for that with a single app. And, and if I can actually take a detour to Asia here, uh, there's something that, uh, that's very, very well established there that we're only beginning to see in Europe and North America, and that's the concept of the super app. You know, one app with which you can access everything, food, groceries, rides, scooters, public transport. You've got, you know, Grab and Gojek and WeChat and Alipay. They quite simply help people navigate not just their mobility lives, but every part of their day-to-day existence. Let's let's dig into that a little bit more. The, the differences in different parts of the world, Europe versus cities in Asia, for example. So I think in Europe, we have a, a bit of a culture of shared mobility already. It, it, you know, it makes it appealing to mobility players. Uh, we've, we've had a tradition of public transport, and it's well-established. Uh, really, public transport is the grandfather of ride pooling and ride sharing, if you like. And in, in, in some cities, in particular in cities like London, public transport is still the fastest way to get from A to B, in particular if you consider things like uh, like parking. I mean, Adam, how many times have you driven your car in New York 30 minutes only to circle around for another 15 minutes for parking? At least. <laughs> and, and this isn't going to get this isn't going to get easier either, right? Uh, because uh, cities are looking to reduce the parking infrastructure, increase parking costs. Economists call this nudging. You know, these, these are gentle disincentives for for driving, uh, while at the same time, public transport and biking is made easier. And in Asia, well, you've got two wheeled and three wheeled. Uh, transport, uh, you know, so firmly ingrained into many of the cities, because if you didn't, if everybody had a car, the you know, permanent congestion, worse than it already is. Okay. What about non-urban areas, though? I'm curious if there are differences. For example, I have friends in, in Michigan who I feel pretty strongly they would have a tough time giving up their cars. I mean, especially in the U.S., car equals freedom right we we write songs about them yeah that's how most of us grew up you know we when we turned whatever it was 16 17 18 depending on where you grew up you got your driving license Uh, and and i'm no different i spent my childhood in rural upstate new york in a farming community of under a thousand people so i've absolutely no illusion that the pickup truck is is going to go away or disappear it won't but what will happen is it will electrify. So, Adam, let me actually take this a step further, because I think that rural areas can breed innovation across mobility. GPS-based automation accurate to within an inch is standard equipment on every John Deere sold in America. And in fact, three-quarter of all farms over 1,000 acres in the U.S. use self-driving or self-correcting autonomous technology in their tractors. So, why wouldn't you want the same tech that you have on the field on the street? You can see the rural areas are clearly leading the way on, on innovation. And when it comes to sharing that final piece of the mobility puzzle, well, you know, farmers in the U.S. are used to sharing some of their farming equipment with their neighbors. The concept of car sharing really shouldn't be too far-fetched in rural areas. 
Very interesting. I, I, I have to say I didn't know that. Getting back to the cities more, perhaps, we're not just talking about cars, right? We're also talking about bike sharing or even I've seen electric moped sharing. You know, this is such an important part of the puzzle, integrating multiple modes into uh, the mobility ecosystem. Bikes in the Netherlands or Copenhagen or in Rome, of course, uh, you know, what would Rome be without the mopeds? And really, there's no reason other than habit and infrastructure that this can't work in other cities. So you're seeing cities begin to emulate each other uh, and launch bike sharing, scooter sharing, car sharing schemes uh, in, in, in their cities, testing these things out. Now, again, it takes some behavioral change. It takes some nudging uh, to, 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 to get people to that point. Uh, but there's quite a lot of investment going into this. That leads to the next point I'd like to get to. This is happening now in real time. We're not talking anywhere close to the range from today back to the Houdina. So what is happening today in terms of where companies are investing and how investors are approaching these ideas? Because I have to say it all sounds fascinating, but also a bit dizzying in terms of where to find opportunities and also how do we evaluate these new risks that are involved? So my company has a database of over 900 companies in autonomous and shared mobility. Right now, about 85% of those are private. So we've had to do a lot of digging to find the subsidiaries or the suppliers uh, of the industry that you might not otherwise consider. So, you know, we've got lithium miners in there. We've got LIDAR producers or, you know, connected vehicle software developers in that list. What's going to be interesting over the next five to 10 years is seeing these companies get spun out, carved out, IPO, merge, acquire, et cetera. The flurry of activity is going to be amazing. We're already seeing EV companies that have gone down the road to, of SPACs. Others are issuing debt. The market is becoming a lot more liquid, a lot more transparent. Uh, and this all means for the investor, there's going to be some really nice opportunities coming down the pipe over the next five years. Lucas, one final question before we, we let you go. You mentioned at the top that you've been following the industry, the automotive industry, since you were six years old. That's, that's a strikingly young age. How did that happen? How did that work? So my dad had all of the car magazines, the road and track and the car and driver and the motor trend. And, you know, I would see how passionately he would read them. And, you know, I wanted to read them as well. And he was a car guy and, and I became a car guy. And that ended up being one of the things that we talked about. We would talk about horsepower and, and engines and we would change the oil together. It was just a way for me to hang out and chat with my dad. And thank you so much for hanging out and talking with us today. We really appreciate your time and fascinating, fascinating stuff. Thanks again. Thank you, Adam. I really enjoyed that. That's all for this week. Our thanks to Lucas and to all of you for joining us. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving here in the States, which, like so much else this year, is taking on a whole new meaning and a whole new look. We're going to take the week off and spend time with family, some in person, some over Zoom, but We'll be back on December 3rd to talk about the risks and opportunities of a globalized investment world 
with returning guest, Reina Oberoi. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.